How's everybody doing? Big, uh, big plans for Labor Day tomorrow? Little, uh, little cookout in the backyard. Be turning your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll uh, begin there in just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We do have uh, some prayer requests. Uh, as Chris mentioned, Lynn Agione uh, and her uh, struggle with uh, cancer. Uh, Edwin Aguilar's brother, Abner, also with cancer. Uh, Abner's up here on the front row this morning. We're going to pray for him as well. Uh, unfortunately, Raquel Franklin passed away this last week, and uh, her memorial service will be next Saturday. I believe it is down at the uh, Orange County building. Uh, for those of you that are uh, uh, interested, that uh, information is available. Um, and uh, also, uh, the brother of uh, Mary Acevedo uh, passed away yesterday uh, and asked if we'd pray for the family. So let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll get on into our sermon. Father, thank you for uh, being our Father. Thank you for uh, being the God of all comfort and compassion. And uh, we do pray for those who have had the loss of loved ones with the Franklin family and uh, with the Acevedo family, uh, that you'll be with them and help them to be a good encouragement to the family as they uh, struggle through a, a member passing. We do pray for those who are ill, for Lynn, for Abner and others, uh, that uh, you'll be with them to be strong, be with all the medical people that are working with them to make good choices and good decisions. And uh, we pray, Father, that uh, we can live as healthy as we can in our life, but uh, uh, be humbled by the reality that uh, we're all uh, mortal and that uh, uh, we have to live our life in a good way, making uh, good choices uh, as we go through our life. And uh, God, we're proud to be your children. And we pray that as we study today that uh, we'll have a great time in your word. To Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, you guys are 2 Corinthians? Okay, I'm not, so I'll get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The title of the lesson today is being ministers of reconciliation or ambassadors for Christ. And uh, we're going to study this thing a little bit, uh, looking at it from the vantage point that we have one major responsibility uh, in this area, and that basically is to get people to Jesus. Let's read in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Since then... We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Great passage of Scripture. Talks about a lot of different things there. And the idea that, that sort of throws it, goes through the whole passage is this idea that we are speaking for Christ. You know, he starts out in verse 11. He says, we try to persuade people. Have any of you ever tried to persuade people on something? Yeah. We have any persuaders here? What have you tried to persuade people to do? To what? Clean their room. Clean their room, okay. I think you were ordering, not persuading. Uh, how about it? You, you guys, how, what have you tried to persuade people on? Yeah. I'm trying to persuade your parents to buy you something. Uh, I, I, I get that. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, students for trying to persuade teachers to give them a higher grade. Absolutely. Uh, that, that we do that. What else? Okay, what do you got? Parents trying to persuade their children to read. Yeah, that, that, that's good. And, uh, you know, in some of our jobs, uh, anybody here in sales? You know, Chris, you ever try to persuade anybody? Sure. Well, he says here that we try to persuade people to follow Christ. We try to persuade people to make Jesus the Lord of their life. He comes out a little bit further. In verse 18, he talks about that we have a ministry of reconciliation. That, that we are ministers of reconciliation. And he said, well, Marty, you're a minister, I'm not. Well, in this sense, uh, we are all ministers. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. Even though you might have another occupation, as a, as a Christian, you are a minister of reconciliation. A minister to do what? Trying to reconcile people to God. You're trying to persuade them. And then in verse 20, he uses the, the terminology, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Now, we all know from a governmental point of view what it means to be an ambassador, right? That our government in Washington, D.C. will have an ambassador to every country of the world. Or at least most countries, countries of the world, right? And that ambassador, let's say the ambassador to Mexico. I have no idea who that uh, person, who he or she might be. But they are the, the top government official uh, in Mexico City representing the government of the United States, right? They are the ambassador from the United States. Where you are an ambassador of who? Of Christ. You are representing Christ to people around you. So you're trying to persuade people. You're a minister of reconciliation. You're an ambassador for Christ. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, he says that we are God's fellow 
workers in all this. That God's working on this in people's lives. And that you ought to be working on it. You're God's fellow workers trying to help people to get their lives right with God. Now, in this, it's, it's incredibly important to understand that you are only a component, a part of all this process that goes on of people becoming Christians or people becoming God's children. You're part of it. Now, sometimes we get the feeling that we are the most important part. The most important part is not you at all. The most important part is Jesus. But you are an important part of the plan. Because you're an ambassador. You're trying to persuade. You're speaking for God to these people. You're a minister of reconciliation in this way. You are sometimes a seriously faithful person in this regard. Sometimes you're barely faithful. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever helped someone become a Christian when you knew that you weren't doing very good yourself? (laughs) Have you ever helped someone become a Christian when you knew you were doing good spiritually? I mean, sometimes we're seriously faithful. We're like, man, I am doing great spiritually. Sometimes you're just dragging around spiritually. But you share your faith with someone because you know you should, or you invite them to church because you know you should, or you you do something to help them become a Christian. You're part of the whole process of them becoming a Christian. And, And then you wonder sometimes, you think, now wait a minute, maybe I was doing better than I was. And you're like, no, 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 I'm pretty sure I wasn't doing all that well. And we're going to look at two stories from the life of Jesus where you have some very seriously committed people and faithful people that that do a great job in their life helping their friend get to Jesus. And then we're going to look at another story where this guy even admits, he says, I'm I'm not really where I need to be. Look over to the book of Mark. Always love looking at stories in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about Jesus. Because sometimes... They are, they are just almost uh, hilarious kind of stories. Uh, sometimes they, they, the Jesus says things we can't hardly believe that He says. Uh, and the events that happen are pretty unique. And in this, uh, in this case, in both of these stories, these are really interesting stories. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. You guys there? A few days later, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, the people heard that He had come home. Now, His hometown, technically... Was, was not Capernaum. He was from Jesus of what? Nazareth. Nazareth. So, but Nazareth is, is a sort of an inbound kind of a place, uh, not uh, by the uh, sea there. And he had been by the Sea of Galilee uh, and, and calling the disciples to him and all that kind of thing. And Capernaum is one of the little villages right there. And apparently, um, if, if you would, uh, you know, base all you would believe about where Jesus lived on this particular comment, Jesus did live there, at least on some basis, because the people felt like that he was coming home. And that may be uh, a pretty good guess, because he was around the Sea of Galilee a lot, reaching out to the, the fishermen there and, and the people that were there, and stories of him going out in a boat on the lake and all those kind of things, all those stories. So Capernaum was probably a place that he was at least on a part-time basis. So anyway, it says, it says that so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. 
So Jesus is in this house. People are coming to him. There are so many people. They're just jam-packed in this house. And it says that Jesus preached to them. Now to understand what Jesus was preaching, look back to chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 14, it says, After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus starts preaching, and what does he preach? What does it say here? He tells people to repent. What's it mean to repent? You need to change. And uh, he says, repent and do what? Repent and believe. And so, you know, uh, he's telling people, you've you got to change some things in your life. You know that. You've got to change. Uh, and, and let's get to be believers here. Let's believe in Jesus. And, he, and this all fits under the category of being what? Good news. Isn't that right? Wasn't that what he says? The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, if you're going to go out... And you're going to be an ambassador for Christ. You're going to try to persuade people. What are you going to tell them that's good news? What's the good news? What are you going to tell them? That you can change. Your life can be different. What else are you going to say? College students, are you awake up there? I don't know. After that beat down yesterday, the USC guy, you may be all depressed. I got to tell you, I was really excited about that game. I thought, I thought it was going to be a close game. I thought USC might be able to pull it out. And, and, and if the game had ended after the first quarter, I'd have been right. Uh, but the, the, the problem is there were, there were three more quarters to go. And the last three didn't go good. Uh, okay, good news. So the good news, you can change. Well, what else is good news? That you can be forgiven of your sins. Okay, so Jesus, the, the house is packed, right? Jam-packed. And he's preaching to these people. Now, this is what happens. Verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, get to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, well, what did he actually see? Action. They're moving. He did something. They moving. They were digging a hole in the roof. Now, I don't know how big this paralytic guy was, but let's say just for, for guessing sake, let's say he was uh, a short guy. Five feet tall. Be a pretty short guy, right? I mean, my wife is like, what are you, like 4'11"? She, she's actually 5'2". So, let's say, I mean, Chris is a short person, a girl, but, but even, even a short, uh, if a guy were a 5'2 guy, uh, you, uh, you know, a 5'2 guy, let's say he's 5 foot, okay? okay? How big a hole would you have to dig in the roof 
to get a, guy, a paralytic through the roof. Probably bigger than five feet. And Jesus is down here. He's, he's preaching to the people. And all of a sudden, junk starts falling down. Because they're pounding and they're digging and... Th- you know, dirt and dust and everything's flying everywhere. And, I, and then the hole's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, you got ropes. And a guy's coming on down. You got to admit, this is quite a scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't actually say it was, uh, who, whose home it was there, does it? <laughs> he was in somebody's home that said, man, I wish this house church meeting weren't my house. But anyway, they, they dig a hole. They're lowering the guy on down. And when Jesus saw their faith, he says to him, hey, your sins are forgiven. Now, did they bring him there to get his sins forgiven? I don't think that was the primary thing on their mind. Their primary thing on their mind was our, our buddy, our friend, is, is a paralytic. He can't move. He needs a healing. And if you look in chapter 1 there, prior to chapter 2, Jesus was healing. And, and that was going on. He was healing all kinds of diseases and sicknesses and problems that people had in their life. And so there was a great reputation about Jesus. That if you, can, if you can get to Jesus, you can get your problems fixed. If you can get your friends to Jesus, you can get their problems fixed. And man, they were going for it. Right. Big time. Right. And when Jesus saw their Faith. So these are very faithful people right here. They are really going for it for the sake of their friend. Got to get my friend to Jesus. They're very faithful right now. And Jesus says, your, your sins are forgiven. It must have quieted the room. Your sins are forgiven. Wow. And the next thing that happens is interesting. It says now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. They didn't say anything, but they're thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? I bet, I bet the, the paralytic's friends were maybe thinking that too. You, you didn't fix him outside, you fixed him inside. He's blaspheming. Who can, for sin, who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in His Spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And He said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Wow, I bet they had never seen anything like that. That, that must have been incredible. I, I have a feeling this guy walked out with a little bit of a uh, nice gait, you know? <laughs> this guy's fired. Maybe did they go Michael Jackson, you know? <laughs> I mean, he is, he's fired up. His friends are fired up. They got their friend 
to Jesus. You know, they, they did a lot, really. And, and you know what? A lot of times when someone becomes a Christian, it is because a lot of people have done a lot of things for a long time. Some people become Christians and their parents have prayed for them every day of their life uh, uh, and, and begged God that their children would be saved. Sometimes someone comes to church for, for weeks and months and years. They're every bring your neighbor day, women's day. Christmas service, and, and, and you think, man, I, I, I have worked so hard to try to help this person become a Christian. But these guys got their friend to Jesus. I don't know where you're at today, whether you're seriously faithful or barely faithful. These guys were seriously faithful, but they knew i got to get my friends to Jesus. Now, let's go over and look at the barely faithful. Look over to Mark 9. For some of you, you're saying, okay, now we're going to read about my people. Uh, <laughs> the barely faithful. This guy, he, uh, he also gets his, uh, in this case, it's his child to, uh, to Jesus. In verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And the teachers of the law arguing with them. So once again, you got a large crowd and the teachers of the law are there as well. They, they sort of followed him around, persecuting him and being real, sort of pain in the neck all the time. As soon as uh, all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. So Jesus was not there. He's off with Peter, James and John. He comes into the scene and, and the, the people see Jesus and they're like, oh, thank goodness Jesus is here. And so the whole, the whole thing sort of broke up and, and they ran to greet Jesus. In verse 16 it says, well, uh, what are you arguing with them about? So he's asking his disciples, what are you arguing with the teachers of the law about? What's the big argument about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Now, it's interesting. He says that his problem is, is that he can't speak. But what he actually describes seems to be a lot more serious than just a problem with speech. I'm thinking this guy had a lot of problems. Not only could he not speak, he's got all this other stuff going on. The foaming in the mouth and rolling around uh, and all that. That may happen to some of you parents when you suggest your children should make their bed or something like that. Uh, you know, uh, I asked your disciples to drive the spirit out, but they could not. So Jesus walks into a situation that is chaotic. The teachers of the law are there. They don't like what's going on anyway. They're being judgmental about everything that's going on. This guy had brought his son to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. And so he says to, to the disciples, Well, hey, I know you guys have been out on some, some, some uh, you know, healing times. Help him. And it says they tried and they couldn't. Now, Peter, James, and John weren't there. So you've got a bunch of, of, of the apostles that are there. If my, if my math is right, there's nine of them there if they were all in attendance. Let's say a couple of them were out fishing. I don't know. Let's say there's only six of them there. Six of these guys have tried to straighten out this boy's problem. Or maybe they tried to double team him. I don't know. 
But whatever they did, they had utterly and totally failed. This boy is still in the condition he's in. The apostles had done everything they could and failed. And Jesus shows up and says, what is going on? Verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation. I think this comment is directed toward the apostles. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now I'm telling you, when Jesus says to you, how long do I have to put up with your sorry carcass? Your unfaithful carcass. I am frustrated, annoyed, and put out with you. Now for some of us, we can't imagine Jesus ever saying anything like this. We believe in a Jesus that's always nice. The problem is, you believe in a Jesus that is not described in the New Testament. And since your only real information about Jesus is from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would suggest that you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're going to see that Jesus not only says this, He says some other things that are incredibly straightforward and stinging. Jesus is not always a nice guy. He's not always the sweetest guy in the room. Sometimes He's saying, how long do I have to put up with you people? That's Jesus. And you've got to realize, you, 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 you know, you, you, that, that those of us who have said that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, and not just that Jesus has said the thing that you like the most. Jesus is Lord, and He speaks very straightforwardly at times to them and to us about what He expects out of us in our life. Very strong at moments. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. (laughs) I mean, this is a story, guys. They bring the boy in, and I mean, he just goes bonkers. uh, He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus looked at the boy's father. How long has he been like this? <laughs> this boy's in a mess. How long has he been like this? Whoa. From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. It's often thrown him into fire. This, this kid must have had burn marks on his arms and his legs. And, 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 and the water, he tried to drown him. Bring the boy to me. Boy, when that boy, when that demon saw Jesus, it was, whoa, whoa. I'm outmatched right here. This is not going to be good. And the boy says, if you can do anything, help us out. What did Jesus say? If you can. If you can. 
Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe! Help me overcome my unbelief! When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, I mean, a crowd is there, a crowd is gathering. I mean, they are coming in. This is like the the main event of the night is going on. He rebuked the, the evil spirit. You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. So you, you have, this is the barely faithful. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I like this guy, I've got to tell you. And I find myself sometimes relating a lot more to him than I do the four guys that let the, the, the you know, they, they were like the perfect Christians. They're wonderful. They're digging a hole in the roof and they're just angelic and wonderful. And it seems they're on the top of their game at every moment. I find myself a little bit more relating to this guy. I do believe. But I also unbelieve. <laughs> I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I, I know I'm not where I need to be. But I'm pretty sure I got my son to the place that he needs to be. Now the apostles couldn't do anything for him. And that only made things worse. But Jesus took care of the problem. If there's anything that a, a, a disciple of Christ needs to understand, an ambassador for Christ needs to understand, you can't help your friends. Jesus can help your friends. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't say things to them that are true from the Word of God that won't help them. But you're not the origin of that wisdom in, in, in the first place, are you? No. You're only giving them the wisdom that you have become aware of because of your knowledge of the Scriptures. Yes, you gave them good advice. Yes, you told them what they needed to hear. Yes, you said to them what will eventually help them if they'll put it into their life. But it isn't like it's your idea. I think they call that plagiarism. You know, when you say it's your idea when it's not your idea. Isn't that the way it is? You, you sort of stole it from somebody. You know, now the, the funny thing with that kind of thing is that many things are, are, are true and they've been said by so many people that you don't really know the origin of them. You know, but if someone famous said it before you, then you probably better say that you, they said it, not you. You know what I'm saying? I was writing down some quotes the other day of, of things that I, I think about in my mind. Uh, and I've heard other you know, people say, and, and, uh, and teachers and coaches and people in my life, and I wrote those things down, and I, I had them on a piece of paper, and I was showing them to my wife, and I, I, I was saying, yeah, the, these are some of the things uh, that people, some of you have even said, these are Marty-isms, you know. And, and uh, she said, well, you, you know, you didn't say that, John Wooden said that. And I, I said, well, I wasn't aware that he said that. Uh, and, and she said, well, whether you're aware of it or not, he did. Uh, and, 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 and if you claim it, uh, that, that's actually plagiarism. 
This, it, this is what I live with over here. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes, sometimes those that's been Christians for a while, we have we have absorbed the wisdom of the scriptures. We, we have heard the, the scriptures. We've read the scriptures. We've had the scriptures applied to our life, and so we have some of us a lot of wisdom now that we didn't have in previous times in our life. That yes, that is now our wisdom, and we say it to people around us who are not Christians, and they look at us like, "Wow, man, you're really smart." Well, they're partially true. You are really smart. But the origin of your wisdom isn't you. It's because you have applied the Word of God to your life, and now you're applying the Word of God to their life, and the wisdom of the Scriptures, the wisdom of time, the wisdom of the ages, the wisdom of God is now uh, changing their life or affecting their life. Be sure you don't disclaim, you know, that, that uh, yeah, you're, you're really good. You know, boy, I sat down with them to talk about their marriage, and their marriage is really going good now. Well, that's wonderful. That's a great thing. But let's understand, it isn't because you're so dang smart. It isn't because you are so wonderful. It's because all you did is tell them what someone else told you. You passed it on. You're an ambassador for Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're, you're sending it on to, to your life. Now, here's the question that you and I have to really deal with today. And this is where we're going to close it. Are you the truly faithful? Or are you the barely faithful? It doesn't really make any difference. Either case, the only way that your friends and family that who need God in their life, the only way they're going to get what they need is you've got to get them to Jesus. And some of you may be like, you know, you're barely faithful because you look at the condition of the people around you and you say, man, alive, I don't know how they could ever be saved. I don't know how they could ever get their life straightened out. And you look at the condition of that boy. That boy was a fire alarm mess. But when he saw Jesus, all of a sudden, bam, it got straightened out. And we don't know the end of the story. We don't know the next chapter of what happened uh, with this boy and who this boy may become uh, in his life and what he did with his life and all those kind of things. We just know the story that the, that the Scriptures give us. But, you know, at any rate, don't, don't, don't get faked out by someone you, you look at and you say, well, I know, they're, they're so far out there, they could never change. Sometimes the people that are the most far out there recognize they're lost the quickest. Right. You know, so, sometimes if people you know, in their mind have lived a real righteous life, they have a hard time understanding their need for, for Jesus. Right. They're like, well, I'm doing pretty good. My life is okay. I'm not sure I need Jesus. Right. You know, for, for a lot of people, man, yeah, I need Jesus bad. I mean, you know, uh, they, they, they know good and well that their life is, is in a mess and going uh, to a worse place. And, and so, you know, in, in their life, they're, they're very open and very willing. And sometimes they're the, the easiest people to become Christians because they understand their losses the most. I hope our study today has been good for you. You're an ambassador for Christ. You try to persuade people. Whether you're really faithful, truly faithful, awesome faithful, well, you're barely faithful, get your friends to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Guys, have a great weekend.